And would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand. And Father, we thank you that that is not just something to sing to make us feel better about our situation, but that is true. And we know that is true by the objective proof that Jesus rose victoriously over sin and over death. He rose from the grave, and Lord, we have life with him. So Father, we pray that you would help us to, you would enlighten our eyes and our hearts. I, I echo the prayer that John Paul prayed earlier, that you would work in our hearts this morning to, to rejoice in that truth and that, that, that we'd be transformed by that truth this morning. And so we glory in that truth, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It was on Good Friday of last year that NPR, National Public Radio, ran a news story describing Easter as, quote, the day celebrating the idea that Jesus did not die and go to hell or purgatory or anywhere like that, but rather arose into heaven, is on Sunday, unquote. I, I would agree with theologian Albert Moeller when he says that it's hard to imagine how one could achieve more theological distortion and confusion in a single sentence than what we find right here. It's theological gibberish. And he's right. That statement is all kinds of gibberish. First of all, it's just grammatical gibberish. Maybe that's just me who notices that, but that is not correct English. For a journalistic organization, come on, man, right? It's also, more importantly, historical gibberish. There is no Christian at any time over the past 2,000 years of the Christian church who celebrated Easter as the day that Jesus arose into heaven. It makes no historical sense. No, no, we gather here today as Christians to celebrate that Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, right? So that Christians for millennium uh, on Sundays, the first day of the week, have been telling each other, he has risen with a response of, right? That is what's being celebrated. In fact, the error was so grievous that Washington Post actually ran an article titled, on Good Friday, an NPR report mangles the definition of Easter. Whew, shots fired there. Right, but the, the, the most critical error, the biggest gibberish is not just the grammatical gibberish. It's not even the historical gibberish. The, the biggest problem is the theological gibberish. Let, let me read you the first part of that report again. where The report said, Easter is the day celebrating the idea. Well, that's the problem there. More than problem, anything else is that, that idea right there. That, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so much more than an idea. First of all, it's more than an idea historically. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most historical facts we have from ancient history. We have clear and abundant documentation from both Christian and non-Christian sources that prove three historical facts. The first fact, is that there was an empty tomb, that Jesus was buried in that tomb, and that the tomb was then empty. Second fact we know is that people in group up to 500 group of people experienced some types of appearances of the resurrected Jesus. 
And the third thing we know fact from history is that there was a radical change in the disciples and in the early Christian church that can only be explained by some type of life-altering, worldview-shaping an event. That's more than just an idea. That's historical facts. But even more than that, Jesus' resurrection is also more than just an idea commemoratively. And what I mean is that the resurrection was never just meant to be a celebration. It was never meant to just be a historical remembrance. Should we celebrate the resurrection? Yes. Yes, we should. We should celebrate it. We should have wonderful food before our celebration. Thank you, deaconesses. This is wonderful, right? In fact, as I've said before, and I'll say again, every Sunday for the, for the early church was, was Resurrection Sunday. There was no annual, as far as documentation for this first couple hundred years of the church, of an annual resurrection celebration because every Sunday was a celebration of the resurrection. So if you're excited to come to church today because it's Easter, we're glad you're here. But guess what? Next Sunday's Easter too. And the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. Every Sunday is when we celebrate the resurrection. But according to the Bible... The resurrection is not just an event we remember, it's an experience we participate in. Let me say that again. This is crucial. That according to the Bible, the resurrection is not just an event we remember, but it's an experience we participate in. Maybe you can think of it like the Grand Canyon. I remember growing up and hearing about the Grand Canyon and hearing about how awe-inspiring it is. I Remember even seeing pictures of it on different television shows or movies growing up. But you know what? There's nothing like being able to have that awe-inspiring view of participating in that of yourself, experiencing, seeing that with your own eyes. That's something totally different than just hearing about it. And that's like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just something we're supposed to hear about. It's not something even we're just supposed to remember or celebrate. Instead, God is saying that we are to regularly experience what the resurrection means, that the Christian life is defined by the resurrection. And so that all that I live as a Christian, it's based on what Jesus did as he rose from the grave for me. And that leads to our question in our text today in Colossians 3. How does what we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how does that actually matter to me and to you today and tomorrow and the rest of the week and the month and the year. This is what, how the Apostle Paul speaks about the resurrection in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Not as an event to remember, but an experience that transforms our lives. Let me read this for us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are, on, uh, that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul is telling us here that the resurrection experience, experience of the resurrection with Christ leads to resurrection life. Resurrection experience leads to resurrection life. So let's look at God's word together and first look at how Paul describes this resurrection experience. Look again there at verse 1. 
where he starts by saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. Let's, let's stop there for a second. Paul says, then, or if you have a, some Bible say, therefore. These are transition verses. These are bridge verses linking what he's going to say here in Colossians 3 to what he just said in Colossians 1 and 2. That because of who Jesus Christ is, because of what he said in Colossians 1, look back there. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Because Jesus, in verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of, his, of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So because of who Jesus is, because he is truly God who reconciled and saved us through his death on the cross, because of who he is, and because of the relationship that we can now have with Jesus, that's what Colossians 2. Look over at Colossians 2. Verses 11, 15. Starting in verse 11. Because in Jesus, here's what it means for us. You were circumcised with, an uns with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What, what does that mean? He goes on to explain. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, canceling our IOU that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So because of the relationship we can have with Christ, because although we were dead in our sins, because we had rebelled against God, when we trust in Christ, he gives us this new spiritual life that we participate in his resurrection in a way that we experience that same resurrection life now already in a fulfillment in heaven. So because of who Jesus is and because of the relationship we can have with Jesus, Paul starts chapter 3 by saying, then or therefore if, a funny little word if if you've been raised with christ this, this is a difficult word here there's in fact some translations try to smooth out that word by translating it since if you have a niv or an nlt they're, they're, they're trying to smooth that out but really the, the word there most translations are right by saying if if you've been raised with christ if you've been made alive with christ if jesus has saved you from your sins and has given you eternal life See, before we go on to the rest of these verses, we have to ask the question, why does Paul say if? Why if here? Under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's trying to engage with us. Instead of saying, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. He's saying, stop there for a second. Why if? He, he, he wants us to think about this. He wants to pause and examine if this is true. If this really describes us. That the first and most important question we can ask in light of the resurrection, is have you been raised with Christ? Nothing else matters if you don't answer that question. In fact, maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting with us and you don't have that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We want to say welcome to you. We are so glad that you are here and you're visiting with us this morning. What a great morning to come. Not only is there food, but you get to hear the greatest news that we could ever tell you. And, and, and that news that we're celebrating this morning is what separates Christianity from every other religion, every other philosophy, every other worldview throughout the world. See, every, every religion, every person in this world recognizes that something's broken. Right? We all recognize that something's broken. In this world, there's suffering and pain. There's fighting and disunity. There's prejudice and racism. There's disease and death. And as humans, we're, we, we try to wrestle with this human condition that we call life. And here's the difference between Christianity and everything else. Every other worldview on Christianity offers you good advice. Here's what you can do to make yourself better to fix the problem. Here's what you can do to fix it. It offers you advice of what you have to go and do to be good enough. If you're good enough, and if you're moral enough, and if you're religion enough, religious enough, then you can fix it. You can fix what's broken. The problem is that good advice isn't good enough. As we look through the history of mankind, there's no religion, there's no technology, there's no philosophy that's been able to solve the problem, the human problem of brokenness and sin and death, that we need something more than just good advice of what we can try to do better. But you see, Christianity doesn't offer good advice. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is every other religion offers good advice, Christianity offers good news. The difference is that good news is about something that's been done for you in your place. And all you need to do is receive and acknowledge and receive what has been done for you. You see, the problem, the Bible tells us that our primary problem and the brokenness in this world stems not from our relationship with other people and not our relationship with the world. Those are problems, but ultimately those are reflections of our deepest problem and that, that there's a problem with our relationship with God is that the, although God created us, we have refused to honor and worship him as God. We have worshiped other things, other people, and ourselves instead of God. We have committed cosmic rebellion against the God of the universe. That's what the Bible calls sin. And all the other brokenness stems from that broken relationship with God as we are in rebellion against him. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die on the cross to pay the price for our rebellion. He died to pay the penalty for our sin in our place as our substitute, to reconcile us to God, to forgive our sin so we could be reconciled to God. And the good news continues that Jesus didn't stay dead. He could have claimed that and died, and how would we have known if that's true? But he, he proved that this is true. He was vindicated by the fact that he rose from the dead. And he proved that he is the only one who has the solution to brokenness. He is the only one who has the solution to sin. He's the only one that can fix what is broken by reconciling us to God. And Jesus is offering this gift to you. That, that he wants to give you this free gift of having your sins forgiven, of being reconciled with God, of experiencing his new resurrection life now and forever in heaven. How can you have this? Not by following good advice. Jesus is not saying, if you clean up your life and you start coming to church, eventually you can get that gift. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that he will transform your life right now. He will transform your life today. He, he gives you as a gift of grace, a free gift. If you would 
repent and turn from your rebellion against God and trust in him and what he did for your salvation by accepting him as Savior and as Lord of your life. We'd love to tell you more about this Jesus. If you would like to know more about this Jesus and this salvation this morning, please don't leave without talking to the person who brought you. Talk to any member of our church. I'll be at the back. In fact, if you're visiting with us this morning and want to know more about this Jesus and you don't have a relationship with this Jesus, I'd love, I've got a couple of these books. It says, Who is Jesus? by Greg Gilbert. And we'd love for, to just to have you read this book and, and we can be in dialogue with you about who this Jesus is. And he's the one who can change your life. He solves what is broken. He's demonstrated that by his resurrection. But, but church here this morning, for those who are the church this morning, you say, okay, that's great. That if is for people who don't know Jesus. But no, this, this if that Paul's talking about here is not just for other people, it's for us too. But you say, if Paul's talking to me, why does he say if? Of course I've been raised with Jesus. Of course I'm saved. Well, what does he mean? Paul's not asking you to doubt that. Paul's not asking you to doubt that if you've trusted in Jesus and repented of your sin, that you're saved, that you have been raised with Jesus. No, no, no. Then why does Paul say if, though? He's not questioning your past conversion. He's questioning the way that your past conversion is affecting your life today. That's what he's questioning. He's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, then can you tell? If you've been raised with Christ, then do you see the effects of that in your life? He wants you to stop and say, do I see anything as a result of being raised with Christ? Or is it just something I remember once a year on Easter? See, Paul's trying to engage with you and me. He's asking us if the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection is just something we celebrate once a year. It's just a matter of history. Or is it the source of everything we do as a Christian? It, does it bring daily transformation to our lives? In other words, resurrection experience leads to resurrection life. So, so let's look at this resurrection life. What should the resurrection do in our lives as Christians? We can sum up Paul's teaching by evaluating our life with two questions. Two questions that sum up the rest of these verses. First question, what are you seeking with your life? What are you seeking with your life? Look at verses 1 and 2, chapter 3. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. So have you been raised with Christ? We would say, yes, as Christians. He says, then or therefore, seek the things that are above. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek? What does it look like for someone to seek? Well, here's what I think it means, and here's my experience of that. Well, what does Paul mean by this? Paul's going to explain that further. Look at verse 2. He talks about this above things, these things above again, but instead of saying seek them, this time he uses a different verb. He says what? Instead of seek, he says to set your mind. So Paul's going to define for us what it means to seek. Seeking means to set your mind. So seeking is not trying to possess something you don't have, right? Sometimes we use seeking things that way. Like, I need a car with better gas mileage, I lack that in my life. I need to seek it to gain it. But that's not what Paul's saying here. That's not the type of seeking he's explaining here. Seeking, he's saying, is to set your mind on the thing. So where your mind and your life and your heart are revolving around the thing that you're seeking. That, that, that thing that you're seeking is all-encompassing of your life and your heart and your will and your desires. It's kind of like when you say, I'm seeking to do a really good job at work. Or I'm seeking to do a really good job at school. 
Does that mean you're not doing a good job now? Hopefully not, right? What it means is that all of my mind and all of my heart and all of my effort when I'm at work is going toward that one thing. My heart is wrapped around this idea that I want to do a good job. That's the type of seeking that Paul's talking about, is that our mind and our heart is wrapped around seeking Christ. He he goes on to tell us then what we're seeking. He says, if we've been raised with Christ, seek. Have your heart wrapped around, your mind wrapped around the things above. So we need to ask next, right? What are the things above? Because you've got lots of ideas. When I think about things above, you might say, I think about heaven, or I think about spiritual things, or I think about all the heavenly realities. But when Paul is saying this, he's not talking about those things. Now, why? I can claim that. I'm up here and I get to do the sermon, but I want to prove that to you, right? Why is Paul not talking about heaven here? Why is he not just talking about spiritual things in general? Well, first of all, if you read Colossians 2, he just spent the whole of chapter 2 warning the church about the dangers of false teachers who have an over-preoccupation with spiritual things, with heavenly things. These things above are not focused on things about angels or heavenly visions or spiritual knowledge. Paul says that's the stuff of false teachers that lead you away from Jesus Christ. Paul actually defines for us what the things above are. Look in your text there. Look again at verse 2. Paul tells us what the things above are. Seek the things above where what? Where Christ is. See, he defines it for us. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. True spirituality is defined by Jesus Christ. If you have spirituality and is not revolving around Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not true spirituality. It's true religion is defined by Jesus Christ. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus Christ. If you're thinking about heaven, if you're, you're focused on heaven, if you're enraptured with heaven, and it has nothing to do with Jesus, that's not heaven. It, it, it's, it's something created by demons. Jesus is what makes spirituality spirituality. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. And so what does it mean to seek the things that are above? It means to seek Christ, to have our whole mind and heart and focus always focused around him, to, 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 to be seeking him, that, that we would never grow tired of him, that we'd never get bored of him, that there's always more to experience of Jesus Christ. You, you know, I think that's hard for us because we get bored of things really easy. Right? We always have the, the new restaurant we want to try. We always have the, the new movie that we want to see. We always have the, the new song we want to hear. It, it's, it's, we get bored of things. We, we're used to, I've done that, I'm moving on to the next thing. I think about my kids. Uh, my boys were obsessed, if you've ever seen the movie, The Greatest Showman. Uh, they loved that movie. Right? We'd ask them, you know, if we had a movie night at home, what do you want to see? And our little one, Gus, would say, ah, 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 which is the, how the first part of the song goes. He calls it the ah, 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 ah movie. Um, and it was like parents' dreams. We'd put the movie on, and they would sit still for two hours. <laughs> Praise God for the directors of those movies. I mean, that was, that was incredible. But one day, something funny happened. Two minutes in, and they're doing somersaults off the couch. Don't you want to watch the movie? Nah. They're bored. They want something else. They want superhero movies now. Right there, there's, there's something new that they're looking for. And we laugh and we chuckle at the kids. Oh, so funny. And yet we're just like them, right? Aren't we just like them? That there's always something new, a new favorite song, a new favorite movie, a new favorite restaurant, a new favorite whatever. It's all, and it's something else that we move on to. 
What Paul is saying is that if you've been raised with Christ, if you understand what the resurrection means, that's not going to happen for you with Jesus. There's always more of Jesus to see. There's always more of his life to experience. That there's always more truth of his to dig into and apply to his life and your life. There's always more of Jesus to seek. Have you gotten bored with Jesus? If you understand the resurrection, you'll never get bored with Jesus. Now, now what does this seeking look like? Paul goes on to describe this more then. Look in verse 2. Paul says that the opposite of seeking Jesus, of seeking the things above, is to seek the things that are on earth, right? So seeking the above things means not seeking the on the earth things. Again, we need to think carefully about this. What does he mean by that? Is Paul saying there's above things in your life, like church and Bible reading, that's important. And there's earthly things like work and school, not important. That's not what Paul's saying here. Again, let me show you why. Look down at verse 5. Verse 5, where Paul goes on to write, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. If you have some translations, we'll put a little footnote there that says that really what this is saying is put to death the members that are on the earth. Put to death the on the earth things, the on the earth members. He used the exact same phrase. So what are those on the earth members? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, the, the, in verse 2 he says, don't seek the on the earth things. And verse 5 says, here's what on the earth things are. It's not about the difference between work and church. It's about our hearts. That before Christ changed our lives, we were seeking to live for ourselves. When I was at, when I was at school or when I was at work or when I was at home or when, whatever I was doing, I was living for me. I was seeking, we were seeking our idols and our covetous objects and our evil motives and our selfish passions and our impure or immoral desires. That's what Paul says it means to seek the things that are on earth. But after Christ saved us and raised us with him, we don't live for ourselves anymore. Because I don't live for me, I live for him. Because I love Jesus. Because Jesus transformed my life. So I worship him. See, there's not a division here Paul is setting between work and church. There's no division between the sacred and the secular or, or school and God. The Bible, that's, that's completely opposite of what Paul's saying here. We don't live for work when we're at work, and we don't live for Jesus when we're at church. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying here is that because of who Christ is, and because he is the one who rose from the dead to give us life, in every part of our life, I seek him. Whether at work, whether at school, whether at church, or whether at home, I don't live for myself with those old desires anymore. I live for the resurrected Savior. So let me ask you again, what are you seeking in your life? When you're at church or when you're at school, when you're busy at work or when you're resting at home, when you go through your to-do list in the morning and when you evaluate your day at night, what is your mind and your heart focused on? What are you really seeking? Paul would tell us that if you've been raised with Christ, Easter and his resurrection is not just something we remember but that resurrection will radically transform our lives so we would seek Christ with all of our life. So let me ask you some questions. Let's get practical here. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus is really worth seeking like that? You gotta ask that, right? But when we talk about, are you doing this, doing this, doing this? It's not about that. It's about your heart first. 
Is Jesus really worth seeking with all your life? Have you gotten bored of Jesus? What are you seeking that you think is going to be better than Jesus? At least by your actions, your heart. Where have you bought into the lie that you're going to have enough Jesus if you go to church once a week and you read your Bible a few times? So that the rest of the week is yours. You can pursue your goals and your desires and your way. I mean, that describes all of us at some times, right? I'm, I, I'm no different. This is a challenge for me as well. What do, what do we do when, when we start to be distracted that way? We do what Paul is doing here. He takes us back to the gospel. He takes us back to the resurrection. And he says, have you been raised with Christ? What does that mean to you? Does that mean anything to you? Don't you see that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that he is the one worth seeking more than anything? We say, yes, yes, he is. Then the question is, how will you do it? How will you seek to experience and know that Jesus Christ? So, so let's think practically. Look down at verse 10. Paul tells us how. He, he says, seek, and then he spends the next section telling us how. How do we put on this new self in Christ? Verse 10. Well, he says, first of all, involves knowledge, right? That we're renewed in knowledge. Without knowledge, there's no real relationship, right? You, you can say, yeah, I got a relationship with, you know, LeBron James. Do you know him? No, I watch him on TV. Right? That you need to, you, how much do you know him? I saw him once or twice. It's, it's, you, there's a relationship that comes from knowledge, right? Spending time with him, getting to know him. And that's no different with Jesus. There's no such thing as seeking Christ, having a relationship with Christ, if you're not seeking to know him more. And so this week, what are you going to do to grow in your knowledge of Christ? Be, because he is risen, he's alive, he is seeking for you to seek him. How are you going to seek to know him more? It may look different for you and for you and for you and for you and for me. The question is, is not, are you meeting my checklist, but how are you seeking to grow in knowledge of Christ? Maybe it's saying, I, I just, I need to read my Bible, but I just, I have a hard time. It's just, it's so I, get, I get busy. I don't want to wake up in the morning. The, the, the question is not, are you checking it off your list, but is Christ worth seeking and knowing in that way? Maybe it's a start. Maybe that's your start. I want to know Christ, so I want to hear and hear and have Jesus speak to me through his word. Maybe you're, you're, you do read your Bible, but you just go through the motions. All right, checked off my list. Now I'm ready for my day. But maybe, maybe you need to do less reading and more meditating in the sense of thinking deeply about what you're reading, thinking deeply about what is Christ saying through what you're reading that day. Maybe it's, 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 it's needing to use God's resources of his people to help you to get to know him more. Helping, having people to encourage you to know him more. So maybe it's time to start showing up to Bible study or to Sunday school. Not because it's something we're asking you to check off as a church, but something because you want to seek to know Christ more. It might look different for every person, but there is no idea of seeking Christ, of having a relationship with Christ, without growing in your knowledge of Christ. But it's also more than knowledge. It's not less than knowledge, but it's also more than knowledge. Paul also in verse 10 so it's not just this knowledge, but it's being renewed by that knowledge. That there's a way that we experience Christ in our life where he transforms our life, where we are done with those on the earth things and we start living for him in this new life in Christ. So let me ask you this. This week, where are you seeking to experience that transformative power of Christ in your life? Where are you seeking to have Christ work with you to, to get, be done with that old way of living and to live for him? To, to, to replace sinful and selfish attitudes by putting off our old selfish attitudes and putting on our love for Christ. 
That might look different, for again, for all of us. Maybe it has to do with your attitude at work. Maybe it has to do about the way you respond to your kids when they frustrate you. Maybe it has to do with the lack of love you have for your neighbors. But what it means to see Christ is that every one of us, if we were asked, should be able to say, this is the area of sanctification where Jesus is working in my life. This is the area where I'm putting to death, I'm putting off that old way of life, and Christ is putting on this new life in me. What is that area in your life? Do you have one? Where is Christ working in your life to help you to grow to be more like him? If you've been raised with Christ, you need to ask, what are you seeking? What are you seeking with your life? And then secondly, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your identity in your life? Look at verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So verse 3 starts with for, or for this reason, or because. Why should we see Christ? What do we do on those days? I just don't, I just, I'm distracted by other things. I have apathy. I need that encouragement to see Christ. Paul says, here's the reasons. Here's your motivation. For, or because of three reasons because of what the resurrection means in the past, what it means in the present, and what it means in the future. First, we see Christ because of what, what Christ's resurrection means in the past. Look at verse 3. For you have died. Died. Past, present, or future. Past tense verb, right? That we should see Christ because we look back to when Christ saved us. What's our motivation to see Christ? Because God's love is proven there. Because Jesus delivered us from our bondage in the simple ways of this world. That, that, that when we trusted in Christ, we died to our old way of life. I used to live for this world. I used to think that what this world had would satisfy me. I used to live for what I could get from this world in front of me. And Jesus says, I died to free you from that, to give you a new life of freedom now and forever in heaven. And the question is, what does that mean to you? What does this salvation mean to you? Is your identity focused on this world, or is your identity Focus on Jesus Christ and him risen from the grave, right? That's the first question. Second is that we seek Christ because of what Christ's resurrection means for us in the present. Verse 3 continues, for your life is hidden in Christ. The verb is, past, present, future. Present tense, right? So right now, Paul says, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you're hidden with Christ. Great! What does that mean? Right, let's think about this. This is, this, is, this is kind of tough to try to wade through here. Let's think about what Paul's saying here. He says, our lives are hidden because Christ, by implication here, is hidden. And we are with Christ. You guys get that? We are with Christ, so we are hidden with Christ. So to understand what it means to be hidden, what it understands what it means for our identity to be hidden, it means we need to ask, how is Christ hidden? See, Paul answers that in verse 4. Look there. See, he says, when Christ appears. Christ is hidden, but when Christ appears in verse 4, there's a time when Christ will appear, when he will be visible, which implies that before that, Christ is not visible. Christ is not appeared. He is hidden. So to be hidden means not to be visible. Being hidden means that from an earthly point of view, the full truth and the full glory of who Christ is is only later to be revealed at his second coming, his appearing. That's how Christ is hidden. And Paul tells us we are hidden with 
Christ. That if we've been raised with Christ, all of our hope and all of our joy and all of our identity is wrapped up in the resurrected Savior who saved us and gave us eternal life. But here's the challenge, is that everything that we've been wrapped up in is the full truth and the glory of all of that is only later to be revealed. It's hidden with Christ because it has not yet appeared. We as Christians live, as Paul says other places, as aliens and strangers, as pilgrims. We live for a different reality. It's secure. It's guaranteed because it's hidden in God, in the promises of God, in the character of God. As sure as Christ is in God, as sure as, as those, his promises are to come to pass. But presently, he's hidden. So what's your identity? Are you living for what's visible right now? What's right there in front of you right now? Or is your identity in the kingdom to come? Is your identity in who Jesus is and his, in his coming? And that points to our third way that motivation Paul gives us here. We seek Christ because of what Christ's resurrection means in the future. Verse 4 says he will appear. Future tense, right? He will appear. There's a day coming when what is hidden will be revealed. Paul says when, but in the sense that the timing is not sure, right? It could be days, it could be generations, but there is a when. There is a when when Christ returns. The same Christ who rose from the dead will return in glory and all of our lives and all of eternity will depend on how we respond to him and how we're seeking him. Because Christ's return is not just about Christ. Paul links us to Christ's return. Paul says, we will appear with him in glory if you can say Christ who is my life. If my identity is in Christ, if I live for what is invisible and not what's visible, if I live for what is of Christ and not of this world, I say that he is my life and we will appear with him in glory. It looks foolish now. It does, right? We gather here this morning and we say we celebrate a resurrected Savior. Where is he? Because our hope and our joy and our identity is in a hidden Savior. It's in a hidden hope. We are pilgrims and aliens in this world. But on that day, on the day when he appears, everything we hope for will be manifest in full for us as well. There's coming a day when Christ returns and all humanity will have to stand before God and all will be revealed. There's going to be no place to hide. Our lives are going to be an open book. The, the secret thoughts that you think no one knows about, they'll, give, they'll be exposed. Those, those, those awful memories of things you've done that you just you keep segmented in your mind, those are brought to the light. Every selfish motivation, everything is, is exposed. And we'll stand before God. And on that day, the only thing that will matter, the only thing that will matter is if we have a Savior who says, she's with me. I paid for his sin in full. They were, they were raised with me. They share in my resurrection life. That's all that's going to matter. So, so where do you find your identity? The resurrection makes us ask that question. What do we live for? Not just something we remember, but what do we live for? Do you find your identity and what you can get from this world? Or do you find your identity because of the new life you have with the resurrected Christ? 
Do you find your identity in what's visible right now or what, what looks hidden but is guaranteed in the resurrected Christ? Do you find your identity in, in the, the present temporary conditions of the world or the guaranteed future glory of the resurrected Christ? Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you, look, you go through times of suffering and the resurrection is the only thing that gives meaning to that suffering. And other times it's hard and we need to remember that the resurrection is what also gives meaning to our entire lives. Can we describe ourselves by Paul's words in verse 4, Christ who is your life? Does that describe you? Does that describe me? As I was going through these verses in my quiet time this morning, that's the question. Is he my life? Because being, if you've been raised with Christ, being raised with Christ means more than just you celebrate the resurrection as something you remember. It means that you find your identity in the risen Christ. In the 1960s, there was a Stanford professor who conducted an important psychological study. He tested hundreds of children, mostly four- and five-year-olds, by bringing the kids into a room, sitting them down in a chair, and placing a marshmallow on the table in front of them. And at that point, the professor offered the children a deal. He's going to leave the room, and if the kid did not eat the marshmallow while he's gone, when he comes back, the kid gets a second marshmallow. So the idea is one treat now, or two treats, if you just wait a little bit. I love how one article explains what happened. Quote, as you can imagine, the footage of the children waiting alone in the room was rather entertaining. Some kids jumped up and ate the first marshmallow as soon as the researcher closed the door. Others wiggled and bounced and scooted in their chairs as they tried to restrain themselves. But eventually they gave in to the temptation a few minutes later. But a few of the children did manage to wait the entire time. My friends, there's not much of a difference between the kids in those marshmallows and us. Right? Where are we seeking to find our identity? Are, are, are we trying, are we just so tempted to eat the one marshmallow right in front of us? Because it's right there, it's visible, that yummy, gooey puff of sugary goodness. Or do we place our hope in the reality and our identity of what is not seen? The heavenly feast guaranteed by Christ's return. A return that's invisible but guaranteed because we know that Christ rose from the dead. Are, are, are you trying to seek to find your identity in your work? Because that's what's visible. That's what's tangible. That's what you have to get up for every day. That's what you live for. If you work hard enough, if you achieve, achieve enough success at your work, if you are, your family is enough financially satisfied, that's what matters. That's what's worth living for, right? And then it falls apart. And you get angry, and you get depressed, and you get lost. Or are you seeking to find your identity and, and your happiness in your family, in your marriage, and your hope for a marriage, and your hope for a family? Are you seeking to find your identity in, in, your, in your hobbies or in your leisure and, and what you get to do in your retirement years? Are you, are you seeking to find your identity in school, in your grades? Right? That, that this is what matters, is getting these grades or your sports accomplishments. Because they're visible. They're a big, fat marshmallow right in front of you. But they won't satisfy you. They won't. That's what Paul's saying. 
He echoes Jeremiah 2 when he described these things like a broken cistern, a broken well in the desert that has no water in it. You think you're going to get water, but there's no water. So instead of turning to the fountain of life, instead of turning to what is guaranteed in the resurrected Savior, you lick the sand. You lick the sand. And you think that a puff of sugar and gelatin will satisfy you. Stop licking the sand. Stop thinking that a puff of sugar is going to satisfy you. Stop trying to think that you're going to, you can find your identity in, your, in work or in school or in family or anything else. But remember, Christ and him risen. He's the only one that will satisfy. Seek Christ. Find your hope, find your identity, find your life. Not just as we're here together in church, but as we leave these doors this afternoon in the resurrected Savior. You know, if you leave today and you think, what a great message. Be, be charitable, please. Or if you think, what a great story about Jesus, sir. What a great celebration. Isn't Easter a wonderful day? My friend, you've missed it. You've missed it. If you walk out today saying, wasn't it great to celebrate today? You fall, you've missed it just as much as that NPR article. Because the resurrection is so much more than an idea. It's so much more than something we just celebrate this morning. Instead, I hope you walk out thinking, what a great Savior. What a great salvation. Isn't he worth seeking? So let me read our text one more, once more. If then you've been raised with Christ, if then you realize what a great Savior, seek the things that are above. What are those above things? Where Christ is. Seek Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For, here's the reason, you have died. You don't live for this world anymore. Your life is hidden with Christ and God so that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that that is our hope. That is our joy. Thank you, Lord, that the resurrection is such a wonderful thing to celebrate. But Lord, thank you that it's not just only something to celebrate. Thank you, Lord, that you find in the resurrection the power to live these transformed lives, the, the, the place where we can find our identity that, that is worth seeking, we find the fountain of living water that satisfies now and into eternity. So, Father, pray that you would help us to be, con to be convinced and behold our great Savior, that we would, go, as we go as a church, that we would do so in the light of the great Savior that we worship who is risen from the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.